I kind of just want it to be next week to hear Knox's word right now, but that's all right. <laughs> Thanks, man. <laughs> Hi, guys. It's good to see you. Um, cool. So I thought for this week, I would just jump into a story. Um, if you've heard me speak before, I always, I always have to do story time. I don't know what it is. God, God breathes on stories for me. I've seen it in the Bible. I see it in my own life. It's just, it's just how he like teaches me sometimes. Um, so this week, kind of praying about um, our topic. I don't know if you guys saw the title card outside or online. The name of the sermon is Not Alone. Yes. Yes. We're excited. I can't wait to talk about it. Um, the story I got, though, it's actually not even my story. It's a story that happened to one of my roommates a couple years ago. Um, so let's see, about four years ago now, um, I used to go to uh, Cal Poly, a polytechnic school up in San Luis Obispo. Amazing school, loved it. Um, a couple years up there, I lived with a whole house of these just awesome Christian men, right? Including one of my best friends. His name is Rod. I don't know if you guys have met him. He was at one of our third Fridays. Anyway, it's actually his story. Um, but this is the story that I feel like God breathed on this week. Um, and it happened while I was in the house. Like we were eating breakfast the next morning and he looked at me and he's like, you got to hear what happened last night, Dom. Like you just, you got to hear it. You're not going to believe what happened. Um, so my friend Rod, he's a very, um, he's a good dude, a loving dude. One of my best friends. Um, but he's also like kind of intense, Sort of like Jason Bourne is intense. Like, he's just alert, and he's ready to go, and he's not ready to get surprised. He's always just, like, kind of battle-ready, ready to go. He's vigilant, you know? Um, he's really just got, like, father all over him. He's just, he's a gnarly dude. It's awesome. Um, and so one night, he said he was just, he was just sleeping. We all just went to bed. We said, good night, good night, good night, all into our rooms. He goes to sleep. He doesn't have a roommate. He has his own room in our house. And he just says, yeah, he, he read a little bit before bed, and then he just fell fast asleep, right? In the morning, like right around when dawn's going, the light's coming in a little bit, he thinks he hears something. And uh, some people, when they wake up, their eyes perk wide open, like, greet the day, I'm awake, here I am. With him, he wakes up, doesn't open his eyes right away. He tries to get a feel for his surrounding before he opens his eyes and let anyone around him know that he's actually awake. Um, just so he can have the drop on them if he needs to, right? Well, on this morning, he wakes up, and he says he feels someone's hand on his chest, right? Almost like someone's, like, holding him down, right? And he thinks that that's what, what is waking him up, you know? Um, and, like, his room is not next to anyone else's room. We don't really go into each other's room without permission or whatever. And it's, like, right before dawn, he wakes up. Before his eyes are even open, he feels a hand on his chest, um, and he's telling me this story over breakfast and he looks so just like stone faced and stoic. And in my brain, I'm like, Oh my God, someone broke into our house last night. I didn't even hear it. I was there in my SpongeBob PJs and I didn't hear a dang thing. We could have been robbed. We could have been, I'm like, I'm like running through it all in the head. Like he's talking to me and I'm looking for broken windows and like a door kicked in. I'm like looking around and I was like, what the heck happened? He's like, I know. Right. He's like, I, I felt the hand on my chest. And I had like a couple seconds to think. I'm like, all right, this guy has me pinned, but my eyes are closed and I still look like I'm gonna, I'm like sleeping. Um, but there's someone in my room. This is not chill. I don't hear anyone making noise. And he's like, I'm doing this thing in my head where I'm like, if it's my roommate, they would say, hey. If it was someone else, they'd say, hey. If it's an intruder, they're not saying a dang thing. They're pinning me down like this hand is pinning me down. 
So he's all he's doing all this thinking in a couple quick quick seconds, and he says, "All right." He has his course of action. He's like, "All right." So what I'm going to do? Lightning fast. I'm going to reach for that hand, and I'm just going to grab it and just try to thrash out of my bed, spring to my feet, and then just be ready to rock. I'm going to be ready to just fight someone. Like I'm just going to be ready to go. Um, that's how I'm going to get the jump. And he's sitting in his head. He's like, three, two, one. He rips the guy's arm and rips himself out of bed. It was his other arm. <laughs> what happened was he fell. Yes. <laughs> he fell asleep on his arm. It went numb, completely numb. He rolls around in his sleep. He hears the sound of his hand whipping himself in the chest. And that's how he wakes up. He feels a stranger's hand on his, on his chest, doesn't know it's him. And so what he does is he's literally describing it. And he's like, we're at the kitchen table, and he's standing up. And he's like, I'm doing, I'm doing one of these numbers where he's grabbing his other wrist. And he's like, I just yanked, and I flipped out of my bed, hit the floor. My eyes spring open. I shoot up. And I'm like, where'd you go? Where'd you go? And I, I'm still holding my own hand. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, thank God. We didn't have, like, a burglar. We're cool. All right. <laughs> But anyway, that was the story I felt like God led me to tonight, and I swear I will bring this into not being alone. Um, But first, I'm just going to pray. So, dear God, I just thank you for tonight. I thank you for everything you have planned tonight, Lord. I thank you, Lord, that you are just a real living God. And I really do believe as a good father, like every good father, you have our best interest in mind. And our best interest is you and knowing you and just being a part of everything you have for us. And I thank you for that, God. We pray that you open our eyes, that you open our ears, and that you pierce our hearts tonight for what you have to speak. And we thank you, Lord. In your name, amen. Awesome. So tonight, guys, I I think the message is going to be really simple. Like, really simple. I can try to complicate it, but I think the best things in life are things that can be made totally simple. (laughs) And I know this because Jesus comes out of heaven, the almighty, highest high, all-knowing, all-powerful everything, and he makes it so simple for us. (laughs) That children could understand what they need to understand, that grown people can understand, that people, the the smart, important people, and the 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 in-the-fields important people could all understand his message because he just made it simple. And that's kind of what tonight's going to be. It's a simple message. (laughs) It's called Not Alone. (laughs) Because so often we can live lonely. (laughs) We can live exceedingly lonely lives, even being in a room crowded with people. Even being in a room where we're filled to the brim with loved ones. We can live some of the loneliest lives, if we're not careful. And I think a lot of us do this. And I think a lot of us have seasons like this. And I I just believe that God's heart isn't for us to be lonely. Our heart, his heart isn't for us to be separate. Our, his heart isn't for us to all try to be an island and try to do it by ourselves. I just believe that. And that is all this message is. <laughs> it's funny, like a year or so ago, I taught a message on community. I taught, I, I taught a message on, on the, <laughs> I taught a message on the importance of the body of Christ. Um, and what's funny is this message is very similar. <laughs> it's about not being alone. It's about we should be part of something. <laughs> As the church, that's the thing we're supposed to be a part of. We're supposed to be a part of one another, part of his bride. <laughs> and so it's a similar message, but it's also really different because I think it can be a lot more personal. 
in the same way I talk about community, it's like, okay, guys, let's all have community time. I think that what the Lord's doing tonight is, yes, let's have community time, but in ourselves, let's understand more of how important that is. How important it is to have community for even inner healing, to understand sometimes our role, to understand where we fit. It's more than community. It's, it's part of his bride. <laughs> it's part of his church. It's part of his design. And I, the more I was thinking about it, the more I was thinking that we can live lonely lives even surrounded by people because we're not living as the church, <laughs> which is, I think, what we're supposed to be. And I'm not saying all the time, and I'm not saying all of us, but I think that if a lot of us, you know, if we're believers, if we're part of the body of Christ, and if we struggle with feeling lonely, if we struggle with feeling disconnected, I really believe that part of that is just because we are not stepping into everything he wants us to step into, which is part of his family and part of this thing with one another. (laughs) And I think the problem is we've let church, the word church, the ideas we associate with church become something it was never meant to be. (laughs) And because of that, we don't let the church be church in our lives. (laughs) We think about the church and we can think about the theology or the dogma or the the song and dance and the customs and the four walls, and we forget all the time about it's the people. It's 100% the people. We make up the bride. Yes, we have a building. Yes, we have structure. But it's supposed to be to worship God and to facilitate a place for his people, to be his people, to worship him, to go out together, to be just with one another. <laughs> and I think what happens is I was just talking to <laughs> I was just talking to Jake and Amy up here in the front. I was just talking about this idea that I think we have the church in reverse. <laughs> I think that church is somehow in our culture specifically we've become something where church is where we go to with our shiny shoes on, church is where we go to with that plastered on smile on our face looking like we're peppy and ready to go. And then we go outside these walls and we have our breakdown. (laughs) We go outside and we have our breakdowns when we're alone in our room or with our loved ones or at our workplace. That's the place we lash out (laughs) in our relationships, in our, in our just at the grocery store. These are the places we lash out. These are the places we break down. This is the place we come unglued. But then we're at church every Sunday smiling like nothing's wrong. How are you? I'm good. Awesome. (laughs) We have it in reverse. We have it in reverse. If there is one place in the whole planet, if we have a building designated where it's like, I want to see the most insane, like your back crap, crazy breakdowns. I want to see them. And this is the most appropriate place in the world for them. It's inside a church. We're getting this wrong. If we think it's otherwise, this is the place that if we're going to break down anywhere, we should break down in the presence of family who have the same spirit in us, who have the same mission, who understand that we're part of one body that says, if you're suffering, we all suffer. Let's do this together. Let's pick you up. Let's patch you up. Let's put you in family. Sometimes that means encouraging words. Sometimes that mean I'm just going to sit in this spot next to you, or we're going to get food, or we're going to just go watch a movie, or we're going to be whatever we need to be, but we're church. And that way, when you're feeling strong, when you know you're part of something, when you're feeling whole or more whole or ready to do this thing, you get to step outside of this room and be all you can be. And the testimony on your lip is you need to come to this church (laughs) where I could break down and these people loved me, where I could break down and there was a God who loved me, 
Why isn't that our message? I hate, I hate the plastic smiles. I hate that we pretend like it's okay. And I'm not saying every day is the worst day of our lives. I'm saying that the struggle is real for everybody. You know, can we just admit that a little bit? The struggle is real for everyone. I think church is supposed to be the place where we can be the most real so that we can be everything we can be. We can be the most shining lights we can outside these walls. (laughs) I'm going way out of order here, but I'm totally down with that. I have no problems. So we're (laughs) going to go into Mark 2, verses 13 through 17. (laughs) I'm reading out of the NLT. I know there are a lot of great translations. I invite you guys to discover a couple. (laughs) This isn't always the best to do a literal word-by-word study, but it's a great one to just understand a little bit of the heart and the general message of what it's trying to say. It's one of my favorite, like, nightly readers. Like, I'm going to whip open the NLT because it just talks straight, (laughs) you know? So that's what I picked for my message today. Anyway, Mark 2, verse 13, it says, Then Jesus went out to the lake shore again and taught the crowds that were coming to him. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up and followed him. Later, Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. (laughs) Parenthetical. There were many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. But when the teachers of religious law, who were the Pharisees, saw him eating with tax collectors and sinners, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with such scum? When Jesus heard this, he told them, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. I have come not to those who think they are righteous, but to those who know they are sinners. Oh, that just goes down good. Oh, I want to hear that every day. Like, Jesus knows what's up. He's not afraid to be real. <laughs> the religious leaders of the day, the Pope's coming over to his house, the, the pastors, everything's coming over to his house. What, why are you with, the, with, these, with these scum? Oh, I'm sorry. They just know they need me, like everyone does. That's why they're getting fed at my table, and you're here making condescending remarks outside of this community. I'm just saying... I'm just saying the religious leaders of the time, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, they looked like they had it all together. (laughs) Meanwhile, they're ignoring the needs of the hurting people around them, some of the people probably in their church. And the followers of Jesus were simply those that understood they needed him. They understood they needed help. They understood there was food at his table. And again, I think it's interesting that the Pharisees in this story, they're looking on and commenting. Meanwhile, the people that acknowledged their needs were at the table with Jesus. These were the people having fun and getting fed and having community and feeling whole and feeling part of something. And the people that looked down their faces and say, why are you with this, this trash? Why are you with these lesser people? Jesus said, everyone needs me. <laughs> I just think there's something so much to that. (laughs) And here's the thing I love too. It's like, it's not just, it's not just like the poor and needy dregs of society were the only people with Jesus. The tax collector. What is that? Yeah, they're the most hated. Why? Because they, they were basically looked almost as traitors to the Jewish people. They're people that collected taxes for the Roman empire that was oppressing their people. 
and the Jewish tax collectors were the worst because on top of everything, they felt like they were betraying their people and they were taxing them more. But they were rich. Almost all these tax collectors, they were rich. You know, That guy stole at the table with all the other disreputable sinners. I love that it's not about class. It's not about some of these walls. It's not just because you're this, therefore you're not in that category. It's just who is at that table? The people that just say, hey, I need them. And I love how Jesus' statement essentially is, hey, everybody needs me. I'm here for the people that understand that, not for the people that think they don't need me. I just love that. (laughs) I love that he says, like, I'm a doctor to the sick. I think that sometimes with the church, (laughs) we think of it as if it's something it's not. (laughs) And I think that one of the things the church is, is a hospital. (laughs) I really believe that. Going back to what I was talking about, of like, if you're going to have your breakdowns, if you're going to have your all, like the stuff you just need, you are desperate people, it should be here. It should be in a hospital with Dr. Jesus. It should be in this house. Why do we look like we have it all together? You see people in the hospital, they can have gaping wounds. They could have part of their limbs missing. They could be bleeding internally. They can have all this stuff. They're not pretending in hospitals like they're totally fine. Like their leg's gone. It's like, my leg's freaking gone. I need help, you know? We come into buildings like this, and in the spirit, we can be all sorts of jacked up. We can have demonic crap oppressing us. We can have spiritual warfare everywhere. We can feel totally cut off from Jesus, our lifeblood, the thing that sustains our life. And sometimes what can we do? We can be here with our smile on, singing the loudest. (laughs) We're a hospital. (laughs) It should start with us so that the rest of the world says, I want to go to that building. Not because they make me feel like less than I am. It's because they accept me and they know I need help and they're here to help me. A church is something that we don't, it's close, it's not even a hospital. It's like, a, it's like that clinic that's like kind of shady, but anyone can go at any time of night with anything. Like that's what the church is like. Like the doors are open. Everyone is allowed inside. <laughs> the Pharisees say, why are you with all the disreputable sinners? And he says, oh, you mean my table? You mean my table back there? It's because they're mine. It's because I'm a doctor and they're sick. It's because they know they need me and they're getting fed. Shouldn't his house look like that? <laughs> Shouldn't his bride be like that? <laughs> Someone that's just like, where's my Jesus? <laughs> I think that sometimes we let church become about these four walls. And I think that sometimes the walls get to us, and I think that sometimes we create walls with ourselves. <laughs> and I feel like we can create walls between one another. We can come inside this room and we can have our guard up so that people only see so much. (laughs) And what happens, we're supposed to be the church. And we can even look in a church and be like, why are these people look like they're doing great and having breakthrough and growing and stuff? And I feel so lonely and I feel so broken and I feel left out. I feel betrayed. I feel like I'm not worth anyone's time. Why is that? Maybe it's because we have walls up. Maybe we're not growing because we're not engaging. Maybe we're not growing because we're not watering. Maybe the people that seem to grow more are the people that are most vulnerable and the most hungry of just, I need more than I'm getting. I need more. Why do we bring up walls? If there is any 
place, if there is any collection of people within a room that we should have our walls down with where we can just be the most real and most us we've ever been in our lives, I feel like it should be here, right? (laughs) I feel like it should be here. I'm going to just read this verse too. James 5, 16. It says, confess your sin to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Why do I bring this up? <laughs> because sometimes we can be like, I'm alone or I have these problems or I'm struggling or everything like, woe is me equals my life. And I get it. I'm that guy. I'm the guy that anything goes wrong and I'm whining, I'm moaning, I'm in the dark somewhere but I'm learning not to be. (laughs) And God's changed me a lot with that, that I can be moaning and I could be like, Oh, this is the worst thing in my life. Good thing. I'm going to church. (laughs) Good thing. I have people covering me. Good thing. I have my list of prayer people that I'm just like, I'm really discouraged. How many of the people in this room got a text message from me saying, pray for me tonight, or I'm discouraged today. Okay. Just a heads up. That's like a fourth of you. This stuff is real. It's a good thing I'm at church tonight, you know? Holy crap. I think that sometimes we're asking God to heal us. I think that sometimes we want to be more than we can be, and I feel like sometimes God's answer is James 5.16 that says, confess your sins to each other, pray for each other so that you may be healed. What if some of our physical healings, what if some of our spiritual healings, emotional healings, what if some of those things that, that are just roadblocks that we need to knock down so we can go further, what if we need all of that? And God says, the door to that healing is with your brothers and sisters. Why aren't you going to them? What if his door says, I told you in James 5, confess your sins that you may be prayed for and get healing there. Yes, he can heal directly. Yes, it doesn't have to be this whole thing, but this is certainly an avenue for it. And I'm not saying right now you need to shout out at the top of your lungs your worst sins you've ever done. I think that there is places for that. I think smaller groups with trusted people that, you know, I think that that's all appropriate and good. But I think if we're not doing that at all and we're wondering why we feel alone and why we feel like we still need healing with stuff, I think that it might be something obvious we're missing. (laughs) I love that God buries one of the ways of healing in that community. (laughs) Go to them. Tell them what's up. Get them to pray for you. There's healing there. I just think that that's important. (laughs) Basically, I'm just saying, I want us to stop pretending so well all the time. (laughs) I'm not saying this is everyone. I'm not at all. But I'd say it's most. I'd say at least on some days. And I think that we pretend so hard that it makes it hard for anyone to open up. Because we're all pretending like everything's good. And it's like, I don't want to be the person that looks like I'm messed up. Because this place, everyone's good. Everyone looks squeaky clean. And everything looks like it's fine. Maybe it's because everyone else thinks that and are trying to plaster that smile on that we don't realize we're hurting. (laughs) That we don't realize that we can pray with each other and find that healing and just be connected and not be alone. It's not about being the squeaky clean person all the time. Jesus did that for me. (laughs) What does the church do? We're here to be family. (laughs) We're here to be there for one another, to pray for another, to build each other up, to connect. I have a big thing to read right now, so get ready. It's out of 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 through 27. That's right. Buckle up. Here we go. (laughs) The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up the whole body. 
So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, and some are free. But we have all been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. Yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part. If the foot says, I am not part of the body because I am not a hand, that does not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear says, I'm not part of the body because I'm an eye, (laughs) or I'm not an eye, would that make it any less part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, I don't know if I'm getting this right, but bear with me. If the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? Or if your whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? But our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part just where he wants it. How strange a body would be if we only had one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can never say to the feet, I don't need you. In fact, some parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. And the parts we regard as less honorable are those we clothe with the greatest care. So we carefully protect those parts that should not be seen, while the more honorable parts do not require this special care. So God has put the body together such that extra honor and care are given to those parts that have less dignity. This makes for harmony among the members so that all the members care for each other. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all parts are glad. All of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is a part of it. This is how Jesus set up the church. It's more than family. It's, we're part of one big organism, sharing that one Holy Spirit. If you guys are believers, this is what we are. We're part of one body. Why I love that is he, <laughs> I love that, like here Paul is already saying, like the church is brand new. The church is a baby in its infancy, and Paul already sees some trouble going on. He said, hey, let me just be up front with this. You might look at other parts of the body and say, whoa, what are you? Or I wish I was you. Or, oh, he's, he's saying you're already going to play that compare game, and let me tell you to knock it off. <laughs> You're all important. You all have a part. I love that he's talking about different parts. It's like that part requires special care. There's some parts of the body that might require special care. (laughs) But as a body, we offer it the special care because we're all part of one thing. We look at the part. We don't look at any other part of our body and say, hey, we don't need that part. (laughs) I don't care if they're not our denomination. As long as they serve Jesus, as long as they're not some crazy cult, we're one body. I don't care. You can be Baptist. You can be, I don't know, Pentecostal. You can be evangelical. Free. I, I mean, I don't even know. There's hundreds. There's thousands. I don't care. If you love Jesus, we're one body. That's awesome. <laughs> I, just, <laughs> I just love it. We're just part of this together. We build up walls where there's not supposed to be any. We go to different buildings. We say that our doctrine's a tiny bit different. We make all these walls, all these denominations, all these divides. We go to war with each other. We tear each other down. When all this time, we're like, we're the same body. Why are we literally stabbing ourselves in the foot? When there's a whole world out there that's not saved that aren't part of us yet. Why are we putting up these walls where they're not supposed to be any? We're part of the same body. We are that interconnected. (laughs) 
And I think that a lot of us, we get discouraged, we get disillusioned, we get just down on ourselves and with the Christian life. And I think part of it is because we're not following its design. (laughs) We're not being church. (laughs) We're like, I thought I was all in, and gosh, I really love Jesus, I really love God, but I'm having a hard time with the people around me. I'm having a hard time with the church. I feel like I'm not getting what it's promised in this book. And I think part of the answer is, are we treating it like church? (laughs) Are we treating it like we're all part of the same thing? Are we treating it, hey, I can't throw away that person or that church or that thing because we're all together. When one gets hurt, we all get hurt. When one is honored, we're all glad. We're part of the same. Why are we throwing people out? Why are we dismissing people? Why are we looking down? Why are we doing this when we're, we're just supposed to be connected? <laughs> and I want to be clear because I think some of us, even in this room, we might, be, we might have baggage. What do I mean? We might have been hurt by a church. We might have been hurt really bad. Some of the worst stuff in our life might be because of something in a church or because people in the church have hurt us, or because how they've offended us, or we've offended them, or it's just a huge mess. Maybe I'm not clicking. Maybe I don't like their teaching style. Maybe something happened along the way. And all I can say is, I'm sorry. (laughs) I apologize on behalf of the whole church if you've been hurt by the church. If you've been hurt by the people of God, I want to be the first to just stand in the gap and say, I apologize. And I hope you can forgive me, and I hope you can let it go. It might be some of the most damaging stuff in your whole life, and believe me, I am sorry. It was never supposed to be like that. It was never supposed to be like that. But I hope you can forgive me. I hope you can forgive the church because we still have work to do. (laughs) And that doesn't get in the way. That doesn't make the church by design imperfect. It makes some of the practitioners imperfect. But we can be leaders for Christ. We can be the bigger person. We can be better than. We can lead by example and say, I was hurt, but Jesus wasn't the one that hurt me. Someone that was just trying to do this. Another part of the body did this. But we're all part of the same thing. And I can forgive because I'm st- I still have a role to play. We're still connected. We still have stuff to do. I just want us to stop pretending all the time. I'm not saying every day you have to have like the sourpuss face and like everything is the worst day of your life. I'm not saying that. But if it's the worst day of your life, I think church is a good place to let that show a little bit. I I hope you're not embarrassed if people see it and come up to you to pray for you. And if you are, man, this is a really good chance to grow a little bit because that's how relationships are built. That is how you get connected. And you know what? Like I, I've been that person that has isolated. <laughs> I've been that person that is in the back of the room that's not even committed to even being part of the service. I'm just like, I'm kind of here because Jesus is cool and I should probably be at a church. I've been that guy. I've been the most awkward human being where people are trying to say hello and the greeters are rad and I'm like, hey, I'm not even sure we're speaking the same language. I'm just kind of hanging out here because Jesus is cool and I guess church is a thing, right? I've been that guy. I've isolated. I've isolated in a church. I've isolated. I, I left a church once. Why did I leave the church? I was hurt because I felt like I didn't know anybody. I was hurt because I felt like no one went out of their way to get to know me. And I was hurt. 
And I came to that church hurting. I came to that church looking for family. And a month or two went by, and I feel like I didn't find it. And I got even more hurt, and I'm just like, I'm done with it. I think God had a plan. I think God led me to this church for a reason. Praise God. But I also think that that was a bad attitude for me to have. (laughs) And I think that sometimes, even when we're hurting, it'd be amazing if people always came up to us. It'd be amazing if people could see past our walls and say, you look like you're hurting, let's be family. Sometimes it's hard to do that when you don't know someone. Sometimes someone can even, with the best of intentions, think they're reaching you out and make you feel invited, and you feel the most uncomfortable in your life. You're like, this is not the way to make me feel like family, you know? But how would they know that without knowing you, (laughs) you know? And sometimes it doesn't come in the way we expect. It doesn't come in the packaging we expect, and we can be hurt, and we can be offended, And what we can do is we can file that away of just, I've been rejected. I feel alone. And we can let ourselves get bitter. We can let ourselves get angry. We can let ourselves turn it in and just skew into like, I must be something wrong. I must be something that doesn't fit. I must be something unlovely. We can let ourselves think like this. And those problems can be things that haunt us. They can make us bitter. They can turn into stuff that we are just tormented by. We can be stuff that we find outlets in addictions or other people or these things that we're not supposed to find comfort in. And sometimes it just comes from us being offended and us saying, like, I just feel like I didn't belong here. And I want to challenge you guys again. It'd be awesome if everybody can be the most comforting. And I think we're learning to be like that. I think that that's one of the great things about church. The more I'm around church, the, lo- the more I can learn to be more things to more people. <laughs> because the more I'm at church, the more I engage, the more I learn about my Jesus, the more I realize he's a guy that died for everyone. He's a, di- he's a guy that ministered to everyone, to all people. He wants that all of us are saved. He wants to minister to all of us. And as his son, I have his spirit. And the longer we're with him, I think the better we get at just ministering to everyone. But I want to encourage you guys if you're people that feel like (laughs) no one's reached out to me here, this doesn't feel like my family, this is just a place I come to. If you've let yourself be hurt by it or you've just been hurt by it, I challenge you to be the bigger men and bigger women. I challenge you to be the bigger people and just say, I want to lead with vulnerability. I want to lead by saying, I'm just really hurt right now. I know you didn't even ask to see if I was okay. I am telling you, I'm not okay. Can you pray for me? By the way, my name's Dominic. (laughs) It's a church. It can be in that order. I don't buy the stuff that says it can't. I don't care if people came in bloody and crying off the streets, fell into our doorway. Introductions can come later. They can get prayer first. (laughs) Why can't we lead like that? It's so important. And I look around in this room specifically, and I see so many leaders. (laughs) I see people that lead in this house in different ways. I see people that lead on the campuses, lead in their workplaces, lead in their relationships. Maybe even there's some leaders in their families. I think that this is even more important for leaders. I think that with leadership, there is even a bigger temptation to make it look like it's always okay. And look, sometimes I get that it needs to be appropriate and we need to get the job done. That's leadership. Leadership is sacrifice. Leadership is more time. Leadership is all these things. But I don't believe that that means we look like it. we have it all together so often 
that we become plastic. And some of you guys are worship leaders. You're our Bible study leaders. You're our disciplers. You're the people that are supposed to represent Jesus, represent our house here. And you guys do. And I'm so happy. I've been a part of your guys' groups. I've seen so many of you guys. I don't want you guys to feel like the higher you guys rise up and the more you guys do here, the less and less you can just be a real human being. That's not healthy. That's not the way it's supposed to be. We're a hospital. (laughs) This is where we get made better. (laughs) I have no idea where I am in these notes, so I'm going to go back to that story I said at the beginning. Story about that guy that pulled himself out of bed. Remember this guy? (laughs) What I felt like God said about it was just this idea that my friend was full ready to spring up and punch in the face whoever that arm went to. He was ready to get up, declare war, like this is my enemy, he's in my space, I'm ready to throw down hard. We are in game time mode and it's about to get real, right? He didn't realize the whole time that it was a part of himself. He didn't realize that he tried to make an enemy of himself. He didn't realize that he tried to fight against himself. He didn't re- and even beyond all that, he didn't realize that it was a part of himself the whole time. He didn't realize that that arm was part of something, and it was him. And I felt like God was saying, like, we can feel alone, we can feel like we're not connected, and we can look at each other and not realize we're part of the same thing. We can be offended. We can make enemies. We can wage war. We can do all these things with one another in this house and not even realize the whole time we're part of the same thing. When one person's hurt, we're all hurt. We're one body. We can let ourselves do it. We can let ourselves do this. And I think that sometimes... I think that sometimes we should just have more grace. <laughs> My amazing girlfriend Emily here led an amazing message two weeks ago about not throwing stones, right? How many people were here for that two weeks ago? The whole message was on that, that, that time when Jesus basically, the woman's caught in adultery. Everyone's saying, like, let's throw stones. Let's throw stones at her, Jesus. Let's judge her. Let's condemn her. And Jesus looks at him and says, okay, whoever's without sin, throw that first. And nobody does it. And Jesus says, I don't condemn you either. I believe that that's such a rich model for how we're supposed to treat not only one another, but the church. Why do we always come with our stones? And if we don't, when we're that person that's in the spotlight, when we're that person that has shame or guilt or has been hurt or whatever, why do we think that everyone else has stones ready? Either side of that coin, we're not seeing it clearly. We come poised for judgment and condemnation or we come thinking that it's waiting for us to just fall on us if we're open for a moment. If we're caught in our adultery, if we're caught in our moment, if we're caught in our shame or our guilt or our regret, we're we're just caught, whatever it is. Do we feel like this is a hospital? Do I feel like, of course, they're not going to want to hurt me. They're not going to want to see me ashamed because we're part of the same body. It'd be stupid for them to hurt me because we're part of the same. When they hurt me, they hurt all of us. Do we see it like that or do we see it as, oh, I can't do that here. Oh, they won't accept me here. Oh, they'll judge me here. (laughs) How are we looking at this? 
And again, I think so much of us are leaders. I think that so much of us here carry his spirit, and I think that it's almost a duty to lead with grace, like he showed us grace. I think it's our duty to be the first one to throw a stone down and say, I'm not even walking up to you with that stone in my hand. It's never even part of our discussion. You look hurt, the stone's already here. I'm walking up to you and saying, like, you're my family. What's going on? I think we need to lead like this, and I think we need to live like this. I think that part of it is allowing us to see people not as their mistakes. I think it's allowing us to see people not just based on what their job is or what kind of clothes they're wearing or what, what they did a year ago or what they did yesterday. Or I, think it's, I think it's looking at people like so much more than what people can see with just their eyes. I think it's so much of looking at people just, God, how do you see them? Because they bear your image. Because, and especially if they're saved, they're your children. How do you see them? I think it's praying to God, give me discernment. Give me heaven's eyes to see your son or daughter. Give me heaven's eyes, if they're not saved yet, to see someone that's still made in your image. Let me just see that spark that is part of you. Everyone is made in the image of God. Even if you're not saved, even if everyone's made in God's image. What that means to me is I think I can go into any situation and pray, God, show me the part of you that is revealed in this guy right here or in this girl right here. Because if I see that, I can love them with an undying love (laughs) because it's you and you are the easiest, most beautiful, most attractive person to love in the world. What if we could walk into every situation? What if we could walk in and see that? We wouldn't come with judgment. It wouldn't even be part of the equation. We could lead with love. And I think they could feel that, you know? (laughs) I think people can feel I, think, I don't even think you need to be that discerning to feel when people want to give you the benefit of the doubt. When people want to treat you like a real person and not in the context of what people say you are, what people say you did, or maybe even what you say you are, what you did. I think people can feel that and I think they can know that. I think people can know when you're genuine. I think people can know when you really can just love them. Even without a relationship yet where you can just love them. I think people can know that. I think that's what Jesus is talking about when he says, when I put my spirit inside you, you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. You stand out. How will we be known? By your love. I think people can see it. And I think we can be challenged to see people like that. I think this sermon was originally about being not alone. I don't know if we're still on track with that, but that's okay. I'm getting close to the end here. I was going to do something, but I, I'm pretty sure that all of us, if we're honest, have felt alone, have felt disconnected, have felt like we're not part of something, not part of a church, not part of a family. I think all of us have felt rejected. Maybe we felt like losers. Maybe we feel like we are caught in the things we've done or the people we used to be or the people we might still be kind of right now. <laughs> Can I just do something? Can we just raise our hands? If any of that has been you in the past or now, if it has ever happened, if it's ever crossed your mind, that's everybody. That is everybody in the room. The struggle is real. (laughs) We all know this. (laughs) We've all struggled. We've all felt dejected, alone, like failures, like we weren't part of it. We've all been hurt. We've all felt alone. 
we are not alone in feeling alone. <laughs> We're not alone in our loneliness. All these things you've felt in those darkest moments of your soul when you are by yourself or you might as well be by yourself. That feeling is not something that people don't understand. Everyone raised their hands. I think that there's a degree of empathy all around this room. We've all understood that in one way or another. We're part of the same body. We're family. I don't even have a slide for this, but this is something I got in worship. It's Psalm 68, 5 and 6. It's describing God. This is out of the outpouring of the psalmist, King David, out of his heart. He says, Father to the fatherless, defender of widows, this is God whose dwelling is holy. God places the lonely in families. He sets the prisoner free and gives them joy, but he makes the rebellious live in a sun-scorched land. I thought about this verse in worship. It started as this idea that I remember there was this verse about God sets the lonely in families. But it was so cool reading the verse before that that just gives me even more context of who this God is. He is father to the fatherless, the defender of widows. At the time, there was no one more undefended than widows. There was no one more kind of up the creek in trouble in life than widows, than people that had no voice, no stability, no home, no anything. God says, I'm father to those people that don't have fathers, and I'm the defender to the people that have nothing. This is God, whose dwelling is holy, and God places the lonely in families. I love that verse 5 sets up the heart of this God. Who is this God? I am the father to the people that need a father. I am the defender to these people who need defending. This is who I am, and I am the God that puts people in families. And I think as the body of Christ, we're a family. And it's by his design. It's something he's blessed. It's his bride. What does that mean? What does it mean that we're the bride? It means I don't think there's anything else that Jesus values more. (laughs) I don't think there's any person outside of himself that he values more than his bride. We're his family. We're it. And I think as the bride we're beautified when we're in unity. I think we're the best we we can be. And I just hate, I just hate when we play pretend here. Because if there's any place we shouldn't have to, it's here. And I want to see that change because I think that's how we change the world. If our house is healthy, how much more ready are we to fight everything outside? (laughs) How much more ready are we to testify? You need to see how good God is. He put me in the best family. Come and see. You can be adopted too. You need to see what he's done. Come to my house. You got to see it. It starts with us. He puts the lonely in families. We're part of one body. We are not, as his kids, we are not alone. The only thing that keeps us feeling lonely, that keeps us like that, I think is us. Because I think sometimes we don't engage. I think that sometimes we've pretended for too long. (laughs) And I think we just need to be real. (laughs) 
And I wanted to be the first person in line to say that. There's about a fourth of this room that I directly texted today and said, please pray for me. I am very discouraged. But I know I'm supposed to speak tonight. And I know God has a word for people. But I'm discouraged. And I would love prayer because I just want to see God do what he does best, which is lead his people well and make sure that they have things to eat (laughs) and make sure that they have family. And I thought so much of my heart is just with you guys. Even some of you guys, I only see once a week, twice a week. I don't know what it is. I know it's not me. I know it's him. So much of my heart is with you guys. You're just family. All of you. You are my family. And I don't want us to pray pretend because it's not healthy for our family. And we can't be everything we need to be to those people that aren't our family yet if we're afraid to be family here. You guys are amazing. You guys are doing so well. But I think this message is here for the times you guys don't feel like you are. I want us to be as healthy as we can be because we have so much more to do as family. I want every week our family reunions to be bigger and bigger. I want us to be bursting out of this building because we have so many people who just say, I was loved here. They didn't even know me and I felt like family here. And that is why I'm here. Before I ever even believed I belonged here. That's what Jesus does. He sets a table with disreputable sinners and he says, this is my family because they just know they need me. That is what unifies them. And you know what? We don't need anything more to get along than just acknowledging that we all have that same need and that makes us unified. So what I want to do tonight, I just want to lead us in a prayer, if this is you. I just want to pray, and I'll be the first one to do it, to just repent for any time I've tried to make it by myself, or any time I've tried to put up walls, or any times I've tried to let the offense get in the way of just, I'm a part of a family. I have a role to play. It's important. When it says that every part is a member and every part is important, that means even one person that's not in there, we're not everything we can be. We need all of you. And part of repentance is saying, I'm so sorry when I felt like I don't want to play that part. I'm too offended to play that part. I'm too low. I'm too embarrassed. I'm too nothing to play that part. What I want us to do is I want us, if that's us, I want us to just repent. And then I want it to end the night in small groups, groups of maybe three to five. And I want us, I'm not forcing anyone, but I want it to be an atmosphere of we're not coming with stones. We can share some of the stuff we're going to if that's on our heart. If not, we can just pray. We can just be a family. Maybe it's just, this is what I did today and I just really wanted someone to share it with because I feel like I don't have people to share this with. And this is my life and it's part of who I am. Small group tonight, that's a part of it too. Maybe it be something bad that happened. Maybe it's something you're struggling with. 
Maybe it's just to pray for them. Maybe it's to be silent and just knowing that you're still totally accepted in this group and totally loved. And if you wanted to say anything, we're here and waiting. But even without it, you are so loved and you're so accepted here. But before that, I just want to lead us in a prayer to repentance. You don't even have to repeat after me if you don't want to, but just in your own hearts. God, we just repent as your bride. We repent as your people. We repent as your children. For any time we've tried to be an island, for any time we've tried to make it by ourselves, for any time that we have done such a good job of disqualifying ourselves, when you're always there to qualify us and say you have a role. I'm sorry if I've ignored you. I'm sorry if I let my hurt and my offense get in the way of your plan and your bride and your church that I'm a part of. I repent for playing pretend when the other parts of my body, when my family just needed me to be real so they could know it was okay to be real. I repent, God, that I've tried to mask the fact that I need you, Jesus. <laughs> because that's what we do when we play pretend too long. That's what we do when we put up the mask for too long. We try to ignore the fact our common denominator is that I know I'm sick. I know I need a doctor. I know I need him. People don't just need to see our hunger for Jesus. They need to see our need for him too. Because we all need him. And God, I repent for any time I haven't been what I have needed to be here. I thank you, God, that your grace is sufficient. I thank you, God, that you clean things really good. I thank you, God, that you are the last person to hold a stone. God, I thank you, Lord, that you have such a rich plan for me, such a rich plan for this body, such a rich plan for your bride. And we pray that you just call that forth. We pray that this house, God, and this body can be just the healthiest around because we want a bigger family, God, like you do. We thank you for your mercy and your great love. In Jesus' name, amen. So, maybe if we can cue some worship music, some slow worship music. <laughs> we can maybe dim the lights a tiny bit if we want. And then if we can just get in groups of maybe three to five. I'm not legalistic about the number, but at least group of three would be great. And just uh, have family time. Share the good, share the bad, share whatever you need but don't have stones.